Hello, everybody, and welcome to part two of episode seven of Orion's Belt, a games industry podcast. We are back with our second part for the Scythe Deep Dive. Connor, are you ready to talk about design? Oh, I'm ready. Instead of talking about how to play the game, we're going to talk about why the game's good. So if you missed part one and haven't checked that out yet, we're basically explaining all about Scythe, what it is, and how it works. This episode is going to be dedicated to the design interactions, what makes Scythe fun, what the strategies are, maybe, I would say, debatably or undebatably, the more fun episode, at least for us to record for sure. Um, but yeah, let's let's jump right in, Connor. Okay, so first I'll give you just an overview of what we're going to be talking about. We'll give you a super quick recap just of what Scythe is. Uh, then we'll talk about gameplay strategy, asymmetry, um, how asymmetry drives the strategies of uh, Scythe. Then we'll talk about politics and non-binding agreements, the achievement system uh, in the rulebook, which is a super cool addition I'm excited to talk about, and then why we enjoy Scythe. So, Connor, should we jump into gameplay strategy? Oh, what am I saying? We should talk about the recap. Okay. Why, don't you, why don't you get the recap? Okay. The recap of Scythe. So, Scythe is a, we call it a TBS, a turn-based strategy instead of an RTS. We should RTS. normalize TBS. Yeah, I agree, sure. we should. There's no way that's a real term. <laughs> TBS for a turn-based strategy game that is akin to like your 4X games, like Civilization, and your real-time strategies, like Company of Heroes, etc. Like we, that we talked about in episode three of the podcast. So... Basically, the game, you are your own faction and you're vying for control of these territories surrounding this, I don't know, organization or faction called the Factory. If you control the Factory, you get a cool card um, and some extra actions and stuff of the sort. But overall, basically, you're trying to battle your opponents, vie for limited resources, and eventually collect the most gold and come out on top. Would you say that's, you know, a very yeah. broad overview of the game? Yeah, I would say so. Sweet. And so now... Obviously, the meat of Scythe and the design decisions for Scythe is the strategy being a turn-based strategy. And we kind of want to talk about how Scythe gets these strategy options and why they're why they're good and why they kind of allow players to have a lot of different options. Because for a strategy game, I think, to be effective, you need to have a, a decent amount of player choice. You have to have multiple strategies that are doing different things and have different play styles. So maybe one's aggressive, maybe one's passive, maybe one's greedy. Um, because obviously no player isn't going to want to necessarily play the same way or utilize the same strategy as somebody else, and that's the fun of it. And so Scythe is really able to achieve this with the stars system. And the star system being, you got to get six stars to end the game. Somebody has to get six stars to end the game. And obviously these stars help you get gold. So it's in everyone's best interest, for the most part, to earn these stars. And since you can only earn six stars, it makes that there's a lot of different options and you have to make certain decisions because there's 10 different ways to do it, or there's 10 different slots, nine different ways to do it. So we're just gonna go over all these different paths that you can take to earn a star and how this kind of creates certain strategies in the game and how it honestly really is pretty diverse absolutely yeah i mean one thing we'll talk about towards the end uh, about like some of our favorite things is that scythe really doesn't have 
a dominant play strategy. Or even if it does, that's mitigated so much by the the player agency, the ability for players to make impactful choices where they are making decisions about how to win the game, which are fundamentally up to them. And exactly like Connor said, we're going to talk about how even though hypothetically you can do whatever you want to win the game and meet these conditions, the game employs a variety of techniques to try to guide you and incentivize you to do certain things. Yeah. So we'll just, I'll just get into the very first, very first slot, star slot. We'll call them star slots. Very first star Star slots, slots, which is getting all six of your upgrades. So... Hopefully, as you know, since we taught you how to play Scythe, getting your upgrades (laughs) is basically going to make your actions better, right? So optimally, if you could have all of your upgrades, you would just be super, super efficient. All your actions would be being maximized and you would be, you know, wasting no time, wasting no resources. But obviously, you can't start with all those upgrades, so you have to spend turns to generate those upgrades. Now, the thing that I think is interesting is that the upgrades out of all the bottom row actions in terms of completion take the most. So if you want to if you want to utilize all your upgrades, because, sorry, let me say, to get this star, you have to use, you have to get all the upgrades. And yep. that is the same for all the other bottom row actions, which we'll talk about after. So there's deploying all your mechs, building all your buildings, enlisting all your recruits. The mechs, there's only four. Buildings, there's only four. Recruits, there's only four. Upgrades, there's six, which means if you want to get this star, you're going to have to invest in more time. Absolutely. Yeah, it, it takes fundamentally longer to get this than any of those other direct comparisons. And even though if you have if you have used all six of your upgrades, all your actions are just going to be better. You still have to take time to get there. Right. And if other players were taking other actions or gaining advantages in other sections of the game then you could be kind of considered behind and so what i think is interesting about the upgrades is that it's only good if the game's going to last long we talk about the idea in our outline it says accelerating returns and it's the idea that even though there are six of them and here's the thing i as a designer, I, I think it makes perfect sense to be like, okay, why is there six of these and four of the other ones? And it's because the upgrade system directly affects your action, your action economy. And because of that, you upgrading makes it better and easier for you to take actions, right? So if they were just, oh, you only need four upgrades to get a star, everyone would get up, like, you might as well max out your upgrades, right? That's OP. But there's still a way, I, I think how they balance it is with this idea of accelerating returns. If the game goes long enough, of course, you're going to surpass your opponents because you'll just outvalue them. Like you'll, every single turn, you're going to get more stuff than they are. But exactly like Connor said, if the game ends prematurely, not somebody else wins necessarily, but if somebody else just bangs out all their stars really quickly, you investing all this time in upgrades is not directly materializing into benefits. That's the deal. It's not directly... It's not directly converting itself into gold, right? Which some of these other ones are like. Yes. The the power one, for example, that's one of the upgrade conditions. Sure, that's not a direct thing, but power directly maps to combat, which directly maps to so many things. Even just the threat of having power allows you to take somebody else's resources. Oh, yeah. But just having better actions just means you're more efficient, but there's no real real direct relation to increased gold gain. Absolutely. So that's upgrades. 
that's that's upgrades. And so the next one is enlistments. And this one we talk about a little bit in the, the first part. And I, I remember I say, okay, with enlistments, I think it's, they're, they're really interesting because you don't get to choose them. You choose which one you want to enlist, but their value is not dictated by you. It's instead dictated by the people sitting directly adjacent to you. So I give the example, if you're in a four player game, the people to your left and right directly are going to affect your enlistments and the guy across from you or whoever, the fourth player for that matter, won't affect your enlistments at all. So, okay, you're thinking, all right, well, if it's up to my opponents, how do I get the most value out of that? The answer is you just do, you enlist first. The, the earlier you can enlist, the more likely it is they will do a bottom row action that will give you your enlistment bonus. I mean, if it's, I would say, and we'll talk about politics later in this episode, I don't think I've ever in a game of Scythe been like, hey, Connor, you want to like do me a solid and buy a mech so I can get my enlistment thing? Like, obviously we tease and stuff and say, oh, did you get a mech? But it's not that kind of like quid pro quo trade. Like your opponents are always going to be getting the better value. <laughs> like the enlistment bonus is just not that good. Yeah. So to really gain a lot from enlisting, you have to do it early and try to get multiple triggers off the ability, if that makes sense, Connor. Yeah, yeah. No, that's... Yeah, it's just basically, you know, the ROI, you just want to do it sooner rather than later. The later you do it, you're just you're just going to get less from it. So it's kind of like if you're going to go for enlistments, you better start soon. Otherwise, do a different strategy. Late game, we always talk about this. Late game, there's no reason to enlist. Yeah. Like, if you want the direct bonus, I guess that's important to talk about. When you enlist, you get this passive bonus, but you also get, like, a small direct benefit immediately. So, like, gain two popularity. Sometimes it's worth it just to get that small bonus, like one's gain two gold, but really gaining two gold in the long term, I don't know. It's 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 a hard sell for me. Yeah, no, it is. It is. So the next one we're going to talk about is mechs, mech placement. Um, so if you place all four of your mechs, you get a star. Now this is kind of almost an entire section of its own in Scythe in terms of strategies, and that's being aggressive. Uh, either trying to fight a lot of people or trying to expand to a lot of different territories. Because the more mechs you have, the more combat units you have, which means you can spend more combat cards in any given combat scenario, which means if everyone has you know a lot of power, you need to get an upper edge somehow. And if you have an additional unit in combat, you have an additional card to play, which means that's an additional plus three. That means you're probably going to be able to you know, overcome your opponents. And also, you're gaining more abil- you're gaining more mobility because every single time you place a mech, you're getting a passive ability. So you're either gaining mobility or you're gaining, you know, some other advantage in battle. And so placing all four mechs is kind of like the gateway or the thing that you kind of have to do if you're going for a more aggressive or expansive playstyle. I would say where upgrades is the long-term strategy for victory, mechs is more the mid-game strategy for victory. Yes, yes. I would say mechs is kind of your mid-game solution to, okay, we're all, we've all been kind of passive and we've all kind of generated our resources, gotten some upgrades, gotten some buildings, and now to get an upper hand on everyone, we got to expand. Yep. So whoever has more mechs is probably going to do a better job of that. Absolutely. I mean, when we're talking about territory control, there's one thing that's interesting about Scythe is there's really not that many units that can fight in the game. And so even only having... Each player has five. Each player has five, right. And your character, everyone will always have a character that can fight. 
But if three, if your three opponents just have characters and you have just one mech, that's a huge advantage. Like just threatening that combat in multiple areas. And I mean, Connor touched on this too. I think the worker movement is also invaluable. Like being able to carry a bunch of different workers, which is a really good segue to our next topic. Is there anything else you want to talk about on mechs? I'll touch just a little bit. Yeah, because with workers, because what's cool about the mech is the mech goes, it can kind of drop one worker off and carry the rest with it. Because if you've got like five workers, at the end of the game, if all those workers were spread out on the tiles of the map, that's five territories, right? But if you don't have a if you don't have a mech, then that means you have to move each one of those workers individually, and that's just going to take too long. That's going to take like six turns. Yeah, like, and then you're crazy. just going to be you're. It's honestly just going to be a waste of your time. So mechs are really important for expansion because expand because workers are also directly tied to expansion because you can have a lot of workers which means you can really move them around generate resources whatever whatever absolutely so the next topic is workers so if you place all of your workers we talk about this you get a star and so the worker strategy is usually in tandem with the mech strategy i would say usually if you're going to go for like a mid game with mechs and you don't want to go for the straight just build mechs and go to combat it's usually going to be build mechs and start pushing out workers and this is super, super valuable because workers are the really high, high. they have an increasing cost and they're high risk, high reward, super high reward, I would say. And so for territory control, exactly like Connor said, if you, five territories is not five points. It's usually way more than that. Like yeah, they usually do like 10 points. or 15, yeah. depending, on, depending on your popularity. Exactly. So that is massive. Like 15 points is crazy. There are games in Scythe that are decided by four points, right? Like, so 15 can really put you over that threshold. So that's that's one way you can kind of leverage workers to really get some some legwork done. Uh, but the important thing is they're fragile. There is one game of Scythe that immediately comes to mind when prepping for this episode where I placed eight workers on one tile and I generated, I, I produced there twice. So I had 16 resources there. Massive. Like that is like 25 points or something laying around, just totally chilling. And Connor sent one military unit in, one just one little bear, his character, waltzed into that tile and got all of the points, sent all my workers back home. Um, and I did have a mech there, but, you know, he he just, I mean, you know, it's a roll of the dice when he gets a combat. Um, and I lost, like, t- basically 20 points were stolen from me. It would have determined the game crazily. Like, I, I, it was probably the victory for me. I, I think that you probably would have won had I not taken them. But since I did take them, then it was I, it was a landslide oh win for God. me. It was just, and it was literally like the last possible turn he could have taken, like crazy. And it just goes to show you, workers are super fragile. And the reason is they're defenseless. Workers have no inherent control. We, I don't think we've mentioned this yet, but how resources work is when you generate resources, it's not like they go to like your supply or something like that, um, like in most real-time strategies or in 4X games. Instead, resources just live on the map you generate them on the tile that you're producing them on. So in that situation, I had eight workers and like 20 resources all on one hex. And you only own those resources if you, if you own, own the, the hex. And so when you go into combat and if they take that hex for you, you can't take the resources with you. Yep, they you get leave the resources there. So now it's their resources. Hence, Connor gains Hence like 25 points. Yep. points and, and stealing the game. So, so really... That's like a really good example of the fragility of the worker strategy. Um, but again, say Connor hadn't done that, I would have made myself 25 points in two and turns. I would like to say that during that game, I think at least for the last 
I don't know, third, I was probably like, okay, I think I'm going to win. I think I'm in the lead here. And then I was like, oh, no, wait. Lance just might win because he's just been sitting on <laughs> yep. this tile with eight workers generating resources, resources, resources. Because, like, again, at the end of the game, you get points based off of how many resources you're in control of. Exactly. So it's a, it's a really interesting dynamic. And obviously that's a viable strategy, yeah. just turtling on resources. If I, I don't know, maybe I could have had, like, four or five mechs there. It didn't work out in that situation it's, it's the glass cannon strategy where you're gonna have a really high reward but there's you know a fair chance that it could just all fall through but obviously in any type of game when those strategies are present you can obviously take precautions and you know try and protect yourself and so one thing with site that's interesting is there's basically always this clock like even if people aren't actively going for stars you're kind of just inevitably going to get somebody will inevitably get six stars relatively soon like i don't think scythe games take that long to be honest like two hours probably um and inevitably that clock's gonna hit and somebody's gonna hit six stars doesn't mean they're gonna win but the game will end when you get to that point and so it's an interesting thing where it's really a time allocation of okay if i spend two turns generating you know for like to get to put myself in a position to generate 25 resources we're going to use this example to death um i had to first produce workers like two or three times right I mean, even if it was exponential, I used two workers to produce two more and then those four to produce uh, the last four to get eight workers and then 10 total. That still takes a really, really long time. Um, and you're like, oh, that's only like three turns. But if in a game that's probably only 10 turns long, if you really think about it, that's huge. Like that's 20% of my turns just producing workers. Then maybe let's say I spent two more turns producing those resources. If I kept them, great, it would have paid off. But what if instead I had produced half those workers and half those resources and spent those other two turns to produce mechs or something like that? So I think it's interesting in Scythe how you kind of can use your time to allocate towards different strategies. And so we'll, we'll move on to some of the other strategies. No, that's that's a very good point, though. But yeah, we'll move on to the next one. And next one I'm going to touch on is buildings. Um, so buildings, they're a little bit of a simpler strategy. Well, no, I take it back because... Like I said, like I said, <clears throat> part one, or if you've played Scythe, um, there's a card on the side of the board that basically says, hey, if you place your buildings a certain way, then you're going to generate more gold. If you want, you could really take advantage of that and you could gain, what, an extra 12 coins? If you if you were to place your buildings yeah. in the perfect way. And that's not even talking about the control buildings. That's just like building bonuses. That's just the building bonus. Which is really But nice. also, yeah, buildings give you temporary control, right? So if... Um, if you have a building on a on a tile and there's no units there, then you control the hex. Um, but it's you can still your but your opponent can walk into the territory and then they control the hex. But anyways, if you kind of place your buildings in kind of these corner territories where your opponents aren't likely to go to, then that means you don't have to keep a worker there, or you don't you don't have to make a worker so you could get a worker over there, but still have control of that territory. Yeah, and it's also important to know buildings can't be destroyed in any way, so. You can just kind of set up there. Uh, obviously, a big strategy is always, hey, can I place a building on the factory just on the off chance that nobody's on it at the end of the game? That's true. So many. That's what nine points for free. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. there's there's always those strategies. And another thing I kind of want I kind of want to touch on is that I do think that buildings is a is, is a slight combination of upgrades and enlistments, and I'll tell you how. Whenever you place a building, or at least for, I guess, three of the four, 
it's going to make your actions better, just like the upgrade. And so that means it doesn't necessarily have a direct, you know, a direct connection to getting more gold. But if you could have those, you know, if you could have your actions be better, you're just going to be more efficient. But also, if you place your buildings later in the game, then that means you're going to get those bonuses less often, which means there's yep. going to be even a less, there's going to be even be like a harder to see connection to, to the gold benefit that you're going to get. So now it's like, okay, well, now we've, we've said two things that you would rather do earlier, right? You'd rather place your buildings sooner. So maybe you can get those benefits more often or you, you know, place your enlistment. So which one do you want to do? It's hard, right? I, I think enlistments, you have the potential to get more value out of, right? Because hypothetically, it's not dependent on you. Ta- you have less control, but more value. And with yeah. buildings, you have more value. You have more like intrinsic value because of the control, but less like direct resource value. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, if you're thinking about the mine, for example, you don't get any resources from placing the mine. and But your mobility is really increased. You can move uh, a lot easier. Your access is better. With that said, though, I mean, I think building, I, I think control is underrated. I think control is super important. There are times where I've enlisted and gotten all my enlistments and like, my opponents are just like lamos and they're they're never going to do a bottom row action because it's important to note it's only they have to do the bottom row action so if they manage to like mooch a factory card yeah, if they, that if does they that, cheat if they cheat a mech out through a factory card or like yeah, an, encounter or an encounter card, card you don't get the it bonus. doesn't yeah so there's been plenty of games where i've been like stole it's i've been cheated out of my enlistment bonuses and i mean there's nothing i can do there's no way for me to have played that better because it's not under my control so with buildings i think that you have more control, but I also would say usually buildings are more resource intensive to, to get and enlistments, even if they are more resource intensive, because they give you that immediate bonus, they bring up and mitigate that loss of resources a little bit. No, I agree. I, I totally agree. So the next thing to talk about after, um, talking about all of that is objective cards. And so objective cards, we briefly mentioned, they're like your, your bonus objective or your, like mini goal and we we're really like <laughs> punifying this making it like lessening it uh oh it's a bonus objective a mini object because fundamentally i mean when i first started playing scythe i was like oh my god i have to complete this like this is how i win the game getting this objective and then you play like two or three games and you realize oh this thing is almost worthless like if at best there's one faction that lets you um complete both of them even with that at best you're getting two stars which is What's max star? Five points? Maybe yeah, it's more. Yeah, five notes, five points. So like 10 points. And usually I would say some, I, I would say about half of them you can kind of just happen on. So great. That's that's relatively free. Um, but the other half, if not like 60 or 70% of them, you have to like go out of your way to get this stuff. You have to either cripple yourself or take extra actions to set yourself up to get these objective cards. And so they really are at least in my mind, bonus objectives, because you want to look for opportunities to complete them and snag those, you know, five points, 10 points, which are, you know, that's, that's no joke. If you can get those in one, one and a half, two actions, it's worth it easily. But if you have to take four or five actions, it's much harder. It's much harder to warrant, right? Yeah. But what I do also think is interesting, because we kind of touched on this with the upgrades and how, depending on how fast the game goes, makes the strategy worse or better, right? It's going to be like like late game benefits. I think that 
if you do want to rush and complete the game quickly, yes, then you should 100% look into completing one of your objective cards. Because these can be done early on in the game, right? If you want to get a star for placing all your buildings and building all your mechs, that's a lot of resources that you're going to have to expend, which that means that's a lot of turns that you're going to have to take, a lot of actions that you're going to have to take to get those stars. But an objective card just can just be like, oh, hey, you know, have two workers but control four territories. You're like, oh, okay, I could do that. I could do that pretty easily, actually. You yeah. get one mech, move it around, and then boom, completed my objective. So I think if your strategy is if I can end the game quicker, i.e. I'm not letting those players who are going for those end game strategies to generate points so that when the game does end, I'll probably have more than them just because my stars gave me more than them generating right. resources. Then I think I think that's a very, very useful part of the game is, to, is completing that objective card. I, I think you're right. I think maybe I undersold them a little bit. And I also think there is one, one of the other aspects is they can also just fit really well into your play style or even give you some guidance into what you should be doing. I know there's one that's like, control the factory car or the factory for you know like and have like the most power of any other player so you're like okay i need to control the factory and have the most power maybe that means i should just go military and then bam i got the objective card and maybe i got a combat victory because i've kind of been gearing my whole strategy towards it which is nice because it's it honestly is nice to have some of that guidance we talk about like the um the burden of imagination or like choice overload and it's really nice to have some guidance sometimes to give you an idea of what strategy to pursue. And we'll talk about this after we're done with the star slots, um, how the asymmetry of the game is also very helpful in directing you into a strategy that's probably going to be more beneficial. Absolutely. So let's let's move on to the next one, which is combat. Yeah, so combat, pretty self-explanatory. You can win two times. If you win combat twice, you get a star. That's it. That's just saying, hey, you know, it's an easy way to get a star. You don't have to expend a ton of resources to get it. You know, if, you, if you're attacking someone who doesn't have a lot of power, hasn't been focusing power, maybe you spend some, you know, four power, four or five power, a card or two, bam, star. Yeah, I think combat's interesting because it can be like that. And then it can also be like really nuanced and really scary. And if you have like a similar power or even like slightly more than them, the swingy nature of combat comes out. Because what can happen is you attack somebody and you lose, and you're not only denied a star, but because they beat you, they get a star. So it's like a double a double blind. You get beat down and kicked, right? Because they get a bonus and you get a detriment, which is really brutal. And sometimes, even with the perfect preparation, and the game is designed this way, you just can't see that coming. If somebody has five power and you have 10 power, you spend seven, they spend five, then you throw in a two combat card and they throw in a five combat card you have nine power they have 10 they just beat you yeah that's a huge blow and you're walking into that being like okay they have five power on board right that's the information i know and i have in hand and on board nine power like i should be able to win this no problem and then you lose that and you've lost all of your power you've gained one combat card just because of the contingency of how how the game works if you spend power and lose a battle you get a combat card Kind of like a pity reward. And it really is a pity reward oh, because yeah. you just lost nine power and gave your opponents a star. For what? Nothing. Because also your units died. Because <laughs> also, yeah, now your units are all the way back home and you have to 
take more actions to get them back where they want that where they were and so that's where combat does get really swingy but with that said there are totally ways where you can be you know if you have 12 power and they have like two there's literally no combat card in the game that will let them beat you yeah i mean and that's why i do think and it again the example that you brought up when you just had you know 20 resources on one tile even though combat is swingy combat is really good at you know exploiting the fact that your opponent is utilizing a strategy that's fragile yes if they're utilizing a strategy that hey if you were able to take over this hex like i'm just kind of screwed then you're like hey i'm gonna try and do that because it's pretty easy and you know not super resource like there's not an intense amount of resources that you have to spend to go over there and try and take that hex yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's a lot of times where I, I mean, I'm the total player who doesn't really like combat. I'm non-combative and I like to kind of spin my wheels, get an economy engine going and just like accumulate all these resources. Mm-hmm. And exactly what happened. I literally did that. Connor Waltz is in here. He, you know, I mean, he was doing well in other regards, but I was going to win. And he comes in here, takes all my resources. There's nothing I can do. I mean, it's a really good way to punish those strategies and keep them in check. And also this is, the way you interact with your opponents yeah if we're talking about how uh interaction is encouraged in the game um going back to our like communication system episodes even uh in our root episode this is a per this is a one of the ways scythe does it in a really cool way and what's something that is interesting however though is that combat does not come up as often as you might imagine in an, I, I would say at least in our experience for our average game of scythe I'd say the first half of the game, you barely see combat. Yeah, and then the is, second half of the game, it honestly depends on which strategy everybody took. I would say there's always usually some conflict around the factory, which is designed. The factory's at the center of the map, and pretty much every time there will be some sort of conflict there, and that's by design. The designers are like, okay, if we put the factory in the middle we're gonna and give a huge bonus for getting it, it's like the Hunger Games, there's going to be conflict there, and that's encouraging interaction. Great. And usually there's usually two players, I would say, most games have some sort of skirmish there sometimes not but i would say you know 60 70 percent of games there's some conflict there and then after that is it's exactly what you said if there's like some fat cats on like a tile accumulating resources then people are going to gang up and go for it um but there are games where there's just no combat because it doesn't make sense because if nobody takes if no one kind of takes one of those fragile uh play styles in the end of the game when, if you're trying to battle, you're going to gain a lot less than if you're just taking a different action, mm-hmm. right? Like if you're just, you know, instead, you know, building another building or just generating gold or generating resources, usually in like the last few turns of the game, that's going to give you way more points than trying to win a combat. So just depends. Yeah. And it's, I love this. I, I didn't even, I just thought of this, um, tying it all the way back to our RTS episode in the sense of North guard, which is the complete opposite. Like combat is the dominant strategy. Yeah. You always want combat units. It's almost like combat is incentivized in that game because you can shut down every strategy with it. Where in this, it's almost like combat is de-incentivized because you get little for it. It's used as like a check, not, a, um, I don't know. It, it's used, a, I guess, not a balance, but I don't think that really makes sense. It's used as like a check to check these other strategies, but it's not used as a way to win the game. I mean... No, that's a really good point. That's a really good point. You can't... 
you you get those two stars from combat. There's one faction that can gain as many his their passive is you can gain as many stars from combat as you want. And I have never seen anyone gain more than two. Maybe once I've seen somebody gain three, but I mean it's all what we talked about. Stars really winning the game, and we'll we have a whole section dedicated to this that we'll get to in a second. Winning the game, or sorry, ending the game with stars does not mean by any means that you're going to win the game. No, no. And so this is this is especially prevalent because the only time that you're really you know probably going to win if you get all the stars but like don't have points otherwise is that you have to end the game soon otherwise you have to generate coins in areas other than stars if you want to you know compete for that first place position if you don't and you just spent a really long time just getting stars you're gonna lose even if you got six stars before anyone else right and so if nobody ends the game what's the best way to scale and that's where we get to power and popularity which is our our next segment and so power and popularity is all about resource management. And I, I, I pitched this to Connor before the show um, that there are actual resources. You have, you know, wood, wheat, metal, and all of those. But popularity and power, I would argue, are like the real resources in this game because you have a decision to make as a player. Usually you're going to either be spending popularity to get usually in counter card benefits that's usually when you're spending popularity or to send workers back whenever you attack like undefended workers and or sorry even defended workers and you win and they get sent back you lose popularity or if you want to use power and you know go for a military victory beat all your friends and win combats you can't get the oh i have max power oh i have max popularity which are two of the ways to get stars if you max those out you get those stars and with popularity especially the higher your popularity, the better your conversion of your like general resources to gold is at the end of the game. So it's really a resource management game where you're trying to figure out, okay, how much popularity can I spend to do this? How much power can I spend? Can I allocate towards combat and still try to get these stars if that's what I want to do? And spending turns to attain these, we talked about it as almost like wasting a turn. If all you're doing is increasing your popularity or increasing your power, like marginally, like two or one or two, you could be doing so many other things to increase your board state. It's a really interesting dynamic. Yeah, because especially if you compare it to the bottom row action stars, right? Let's say you start at two popularity. You have to get all the way to 18, right? So that Huge. means increasing, you know, your popularity by one or two is not like, a ton of progress but let's say you're trying to place all your mechs you place one mech that's 25 percent. you're 25 percent out of the way there to getting that star and so especially since when you get a mech you get all these immediate benefits right you get a enhanced mobility you get another combat unit when you increase your popularity okay cool you now have four instead of two on the off chance when you want to spend that during encounter cards that is nice but that's it that's all you did so you really have to make sure, or I guess that's the beauty of the popularity and the power system is that they do have their benefits. And I think it's important to increase both of them, especially, and if you look at power, you need to, to, in order to defend yourself and to yep. win combat. But whenever you take time to do these two things and increase these two factors, it doesn't feel too good. And I think the reason is, is it's like, it doesn't feel good because it's the opportunity cost of if I never get punished for this, if Connor does never attack me and I spend two turns buffing up my power just so I can win an attack against Connor, then I could have just spent those two turns making more resources, 
right? And But you don't know, obviously. Like, the whole thing is you're preparing. But I think it's that unknown opportunity. Yeah, cost. it's like the insurance, right? I mean, if all things go well, if you're planning out, trying to plan out your perfect strategy, perfect game, and you're not trying to be aggressive, then why even waste time? Just go full greed. Just Send go full greed. greed. <laughs> Send greed. But you just, obviously, you know, sometimes you come to your senses and say, okay, you know, looking at these other players, maybe they would want to attack me. I'm, I might have to waste a turn here. It's really interesting. So we move to our last topic. And that is not our last topic. What am I even saying? Our last point, kind of. Our second to last point. I don't know what I'm saying. <laughs> uh, it's very late. Uh, finishing the game first does not equal a win. Do you like how I use the not equal sign? Not equal sign? Oh, big, yeah, big CS guy. The programmatical here. syntax. I'm really <laughs> cool. Um, so my second game of Scythe. I was really jazzed because Connor is a notoriously good scythe player. This is true. And I was like, I'm going to beat him. Like there's hands down. There's no way he gets more stars than me. And I was completely correct. And I got six stars and he only had like three. Like he didn't, no one was even close. I had six stars. I was like, this is the easiest first place win of my life. Uh, there were four of us playing and I got third, <laughs> which is really oof. Who got first? You did. Okay. Yeah. Just uh-huh. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, and I didn't even get second. That's what, what surprised me even more. And I was I was pretty close to the guy in second, but I was shocked. I wasn't that far away from the guy in third either. So like or fourth, I mean. Um, so I was like, wow, how did I? How did this game? Like I was shocked. How did I not win this game when I finished, presumably way faster than everyone else? And the reason was is because I allocated whatever everything I was doing was in service of getting stars. And there's definitely a strategy, and we'll talk about strategy viability in our last point for this section, uh, which Connor will talk about next. There's definitely a strategy where there is like a rush strategy. You get a bunch of, you accumulate, maybe you get your both objectives, like Connor said, and then you end the game so you can outpace people. But I don't think I'd done that super well, even though I was really far ahead of people getting my stars, they had had time to, you know, farm resources and get that um, under control. And so why I think I lost this game was because when you looked across the board, Connor controlled like, I don't know, a a ton of tiles, a bunch of tiles. It was crazy. And if I was a good player, again, this is my second time ever playing Scythe, I would have easily disrupted him because it was just lone workers all on their lonesome, just like spread out across the map um, that anyone could have just moved in and knocked him out and taken their resources. But since none of us really knew how to punish, he was just like flayed out across the map, getting all these free points. We were all like in our hobbles turtling down it was great um and it it cost me the game even though i had been able to i got a factory card i completed my objective i uh probably placed all max i can't remember it was a while ago but um it was a really interesting dynamic and i remember sitting down and being like connor how did i lose this game and i mean obviously you were gloating blah 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 oh, of course of course but um it, it, it's an interesting dynamic so when we look at scythe as a game i mean connor what do you think about how finishing the game doesn't mean you're winning the game well i think it's interesting because whenever you introduce a game and if it's whoever the first one is to finish wins it almost adds like a level of linearity to it or you've got one path you've got one corridor regardless of you know which door you take it's whoever gets to this door first Right. Mm-hmm. And so that makes it that makes it less interesting in my eyes, or at least less strategic, right? Sure. Because although there might be different ways to get to that door, 
everyone's still trying to get to that door. When finishing first does not necessarily make you win, then that means you have to consider a lot more in terms of how well you're doing. Because now you have to consider, okay, hey, like, am I doing enough in comparison to everybody else before ending the game, right? Because ending the game and not winning, I, I bet feels pretty bad. Okay. Uh, <laughs> but, but it, it does, does. No, because no, it, it does. It there's a really lot bad. of games in which you just, whoever finishes first, and although there's different ways to do that, that's how you win the game. But when that's not the case, it really just introduces a plethora of different strategy and so much more decision-making. And that you really just do have to consider and plan out what you're going to do um, and compare it as well to what everyone else is doing. Well, we talked about the inevitability of Scythe ending, I think, in the first episode. Like, or no, no, that, that was definitely this episode. Um, eventually, all six stars are going to be placed. And once you realize that placing all six stars doesn't mean you win the game, it's a totally different, you're kind of, usually you're more content to kind of just let the game end. Like you don't really have to vie for it. Maybe if it's everyone has five stars, you want to be the person to get the sixth because that's kind of just like a free um, five points. But it's interesting in that regard because you you just don't, you want the game to end, but you're more content to just let it play out and get those strategies. One thing I think makes it really interesting, and we'll get to this when we talk about politics, is that when winning the game first or ending when ending the game first doesn't mean you win it makes the team up uh like paradox or phenomenon uh a little bit different so in a game like munchkin which is you know a very popular game and this is different because munchkin's all about kind of tomfoolery but when one person's at level nine no matter where everyone else is on the board as long as everyone else is not level nine in this game it doesn't basically it's a game where if you get to level 10 you win the rest of the game doesn't matter. When one person's at level nine, everyone else is hell bent on making sure that one person does not hit level 10. You know what I mean? All of your enemies team up against you and it's just like, nope, no, no, yeah, no, don't get to level 10, right? Can. Yeah. But if I have six stars, if I'm about to place my sixth star and there are nobody else is close to doing that and there's three other people in the game, they're probably like, I don't really care. Like, I don't know. This is, it's, it's not, oh, let's all team up against Lance. It's probably, hey, Lance, can you not place that six star? Because you'll lose. <laughs> like, maybe you should not do that because, hey, look, Connor's ahead right now. It's it's a completely different dynamic. And it's more, we need to team up and evaluate the board state rather than, okay, you're just about to finish the game. So you must be the obvious threat. No, that's a, that's a very good point. And I do also want to bring up, this This kind of just came to mind. And I think, I think this is really good for games or at least games when it comes to enjoyment with a group of people is that having avenues for greed. Yes, sure. (laughs) (laughs) And I know that might sound a little weird, but being greedy is what allows people to kind of have like these really huge rises and falls and what, and what makes for interesting gameplay. And so if you're looking at it from like an algorithmic perspective, if you're trying to maximize how much gold that you can get, you don't necessarily want to end the game. Because if ending the game doesn't mean you win, as long as the game hasn't ended yet, you can get more points. You can generate more gold. So why end the game, right? And so what I'm saying is that there's situations in which maybe even though you could end the game, 
you might say, okay, but if I do this first, I can clutch. I can I can get points. like fifteen more points and really really secure that spot. So you wait, and then maybe someone screws you up, and then you can't win the game, and then whatever whatever whatever. Right. I think that that's just a really interesting aspect, and I think it just introduces players and allows players to be greedy. Um, especially towards the end of the game. And also that means it's going to encourage a lot of player interaction towards the end of the game, which is can lead to really exciting and fun games. I agree. And so I think let's jump to the politics section and then we'll touch on asymmetry next. Cause I think politics is a better segue. Sure. So there's politics and non-binding agreements, which is something that's in the rule book for Scythe and Scythe encourages making deals. So the quid pro quo, I won't attack you this turn. If you move off that hex, next turn that way i can move on to it this happens all the time with the factory if there's not going to be a fight there it might be hey connor can you move your character off the factory so i can get a factory card next turn he's like sure or maybe he's like no whatever and so those deals are encouraged in scythe they're trying to make you politic and that's inherent to every game in Catan, for example you're like oh hey i'm gonna try to place a road here in a little bit you want to like not not do that or something like that but what's cool about Scythe, and a lot more games are implementing this, is you're allowed to trade actual resources to give tangible rewards to people for fulfilling or incentivizing deals. So, hey, Connor, if you move off the factory and let me move on to it, I'll give you two gold. I mean, that's two victory points. Sure. Yeah. Great. Take your factory card. Or maybe it's like, whoa, not the factory card, that's worth way more than two points, you know? And there's there's a little bit more of that dynamic. This is really pertinent since we just had a discussion last week about social deduction games. Um, and how politics can really uh, not inflate, but enhance your gameplay experience. I think this is this is a really good way to do it. Oh, yeah. Because, again, even if, let's say, I was like, okay, I'll leave the factory card if you give me two coins now. Mm-hmm. And Lance gives me, gives me two coins. And then on my turn, I don't move off the factory. Yeah, they're non-binding. They're non-binding. I can say, haha, I just took two gold from you. And then it's like, okay, that's such a dangerous precedent, right? Oh, now, yeah. Now, there's no way I trade with Connor again, but it's in his right to make that deal, And right? now you just have a plus two, or I guess a, you, know, you have plus two, Lance has minus two for that game. And that's a significant, that's a significant point difference. Four, oh, essentially, yeah. 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 So really, really interesting. And that's kind of how... It, politics factor into is anything else you want to say on politics no, it's, it. it's pretty brief okay so then there's asymmetry and how asymmetry this kind of ties back before we kind of got into our our tangent about finishing the game first does not equal winning um so before that asymmetry with the faction boards and the player boards really drives all of the strategies we were talking about and you might even have to rewind the podcast because that was so long ago uh, to remember what those strategies were but i will i will remind you so you have your upgrading strategy your enlisting strategy the worker strategy the objective cards combat power and popularity all of those basically end game victory conditions we talked about and how those influence the strategies so the asymmetry of the boards themselves this is interesting how they directly contribute to which one of those um you might want to pursue we talked about with the objective cards how sometimes they'll bring you to oh, okay, I want to do combat because I need to control the factory for my objective. The player boards and the faction boards are very similar. Yeah, if anything, I'd say it probably does it more so than the objective cards. Definitely. Because there's certain rewards paired with every bottom row action, and like, and every bottom row action can lead to a star. So, for example, you could be handed a player board that says, whenever you make a mech, you also get three gold. So, if that's the case, then... Oh, I just I just want to be making mechs. If 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 me placing a building 
gives me one gold in addition to the building, but a mech gives me three gold in addition to the mech, then I'm pretty sure I want to place all my mechs. Totally. Which means I'm pretty sure, okay, if I'm placing all my mechs, I want to try and get the most benefit from utilize from weight from using those resources on mechs. Okay, I want to try either get also get a lot of workers, or maybe I want to expand a lot, or I want to fight a lot. Boom, there you go. Now you actually have a strategy that's kind of being handed to you and saying, hey, this is probably going to be in your best interest. And that's the important thing, right? It's in your best interest being handed to you. You could totally disregard that and just not do that. You can play the game however you want. But they are, you know, there to encourage you and ultimately help you win the game. Because like you said, if placing mechs gives me three gold, uh, it's in my best interest to place mechs and gain three gold. Oh, yeah. And so the faction abilities are a little different and they're more, I don't know, they're they're less uh, action economy or I guess directly economy related. So one of them, which I would argue is one of the, the best ones in the game is you can choose two options uh, out of the three options on every encounter card. And we talked about how encounter cards let you get like some deals. Sometimes they accelerate you through the game. And these are the ones you pick up that encounter token whenever your player character ends their movement on it for a turn. And this person can choose both. Or, sorry, two of the three. And that's pretty much universally incredible. I mean, you've played with this character a bunch, Colin, oh, would yeah. you agree? Oh, yeah. I mean, that might be why I've, I've won so much, honestly. It's it's a very, very good ability. And the reason is, is always you're getting some sort of really favorable trade. So you're either uh, pay two popularity to, like, place a mech for free. Okay, sure. That's always worth it. Or, like, I don't know, uh, pay one gold to gain four resources of, of any type. Okay, sure. And so being able to get two of these, I mean... It's 100% better than all of your uh, opponents, which is awesome. And usually when that happens, you want to ma- just getting that once isn't enough to really drive that passive ability home because a lot of the other passive abilities are good too. So it shapes your play strategy because you're like, okay, now I want to get a bunch of encounter tokens. And over the course of a game, maybe choosing one extra one isn't that much, but choosing five extra ones, that's insane. And usually if your opponents are only getting maybe two of these per game, usually one, and you're getting even three, you're getting six choices and they're only getting two. That is crazy value. So good. Oh, yeah. Um, Another thing I do want to say about the faction abilities too is that it breaks, some of them, maybe not break, but push the rules of the game and push the restrictions that are placed in front of you that kind of make these different strategies more difficult. But when those boundaries are pushed, you're like, oh, wait, there's a way easier way for me to do this. Mm-hmm. And for example, I, th- I actually think it might be the same faction. One of the mech abilities, right? Because whenever you place a mech, you get a certain ability, is whenever you send workers home, you don't lose popularity. Yeah, it's definitely that faction. Okay. It's the same faction. <laughs> so this is a really interesting ability because you're like, wait, 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 wait. You're telling me whenever I walk into somebody's worker... I don't lose popularity because that's that's a, that de-incentivizes you from just trying to just run all over the place and push someone back into their homeland. You're going to have no popularity, which means you're not going to have a lot of points for everything that you've generated at the end of the game. But when that's not the case, you're just like, oh, well, then I can. Like, what's Why not stopping steal me? from all of my opponents? Why not yeah. steal from all of my opponents? Why not just make sure that all my opponents have very limited territory? Which I think is is really interesting and also a very cool design choice because... Everyone goes into the game and starts the game saying, okay, these are the restrictions in place, right? And these restrictions are going to 
kind of dictate, okay, maybe this strategy seems better than this strategy or this strategy doesn't seem super viable right now. But then when you start placing your max and you're like, oh, wait, what? I, I can actually do this like really easily and it'll probably be really, really good for me. It feels good to kind of like utilize that and exploit it. Yeah, definitely. It, feel, it just, it feels like you're, you're really playing everybody because you've got this really cool ability that's letting you push the rules. Definitely. It makes you feel like you're really leveraging this unique feature that the faction has, yeah. which, you know, I mean, I hate because guess what? You're, oh, he's, he doesn't have to lose popularity when he's attacking workers. Oh, well, what if he ran into eight workers on one tile? Yeah, yeah. I would have lost eight popularity, but instead I lost zero. He lost none and gained 25 points. That's pretty good. <laughs> um, great. So, so those are basically what we kind of wanted to talk about. And so... Now that we've talked about asymmetry and the politics and then all these gameplay things, I want to talk about one more thing before we dive into what Connor and I enjoy about Scythe. So the last thing is, and this is more like a pet thing that makes me happy, is there's an achievement system in Scythe, which is cool because it's not a video game. There's no passive tracking or anything like that. But there is a built-in physical achievement system that after every single game, you go and check to see if you've met an achievement. And then the person who met it gets to fill out, sign their name, immortalized in the rule book that they did XYZ thing. One of those achievements. And so some of the achievements are like, okay, first win with this faction. Okay, cool. great. A lot more of them are more nuanced than that. One of them was... <clears throat> finishes a game first and doesn't or finishes a game and doesn't win so. yeah like he ends the game like well, there's an there's an achievement that says you end the game i you got six stars but you lost right so i got to fill that one out that was pretty great <laughs> um and it was a good consolation prize to be honest uh for getting that game stolen from me um but it, it, it was really interesting and i think it's a cool feature to employ in a board game uh it's you know definitely like juice if you're talking like design juice extra stuff that really doesn't affect the gameplay at all but I think it adds a lot to the kind of like feeling in the post-game experience, setting you up for the next one. And also, it does make feeling, I mean, in that case specifically, it makes losing not feel as bad. Which is, totally. Which is an important way, is an important thing that you want to try and include in your games. You want to make losing not feel terrible. And obviously, there's a lot of different ways to do that. But if you kind of have achievements and you're like, okay, I did not win, but at least I did this. Did this know, cool thing, And now right? I to write it down. Well, that's kind of cool. Exactly. And obviously it makes winning feel better because, okay, I won. So now I usually, almost always, you get to complete yeah. an achievement. But once all that low hanging fruit is picked, it does a third thing, which is, okay, I don't get anything from winning just with this faction because, you know, everyone has like the first one to faction achievement or whatever. But maybe I can do like, have like 25 resources on a tile at one point. Right, like one of them is or, like win a game with over 100 gold, which is a lot. Yeah. So. There's like you can start tailoring. There's actual strategies that can be adopt, adapted um, from these achievements, looking at them and stuff like that. So just something I wanted to mention um, because I thought it was really unique and cool. Yeah. Um, so the last point, I guess we'll keep it somewhat brief, but just why do we like Scythe? I mean, there's lots of good board games out there. Why, why do we why do you personally enjoy Scythe, Lance? I think there's a lot of reasons. Um, I think one of them and this is maybe hilariously low to the ground is the cleanup is really nice in in the sense of when the game ends calculating your score and doing all of that takes like 10 20 seconds like it's super easy to figure out okay i have 60 gold what does everyone else have okay i get third place whatever um 
they're like a game like terraforming mars oh, terraforming that's, mars oh my god the the ending takes 25 minutes just to be like okay there's like 15 adjacency bonuses i get xyz it's crazy um and it i think it hurts like the experience cuz i mean everyone loves setting setting up board games is fun cleaning up board games sucks it's a classic oh yeah um and and that does not help the experience so i think that's like a one of the reasons i think the bigger reason though i mean that's more of like a nice feature is the play strategies i really don't think there's a dominant play strategy in scythe at least none that our meta has kind of established and i always feel excited to try out new things um, with that said i mean if we're talking about what i like about the game something i don't like about the game or at least i'm more reserved about is since everything's random in terms of your manufacturing board and your faction board, I do feel like I'm sometimes pigeonholed into strategies. And this is just a burden of the imagination problem. Some people, this is a negative for me, but I think some people could be like, oh, this is awesome. I really like this being done for me. Sometimes I get set up for a game or we get ready to play a game and I really want to do something. And really my faction doesn't support that or my player board doesn't really support that. And so instead, maybe it's like, okay, I should probably go for a combat this game because that just makes more sense. Um, but yeah, that's kind of, I don't know. Those are those are the things I, I like and dislike about Scythe. What about you, Connor? So I'll give, I'll give my, my biggest point right away. And it's kind of a double-edged sword because what I think is really cool about Scythe is your ability to plan things out. And this is a good, this is the good part of it, is that you're able to kind of sit down and kind of establish, okay, I kind of maybe want to start, you know, getting upgrades and maybe building my buildings and, okay, I could place my building here and here. And you can kind of just really, you know, delve into the pathway and think about what strategy you want to do and how it's going to be the best. Like what would, what needs to happen for that strategy to work out the best? And then you can actually, you know, start to execute it. And that's nice because a lot of the times you can kind of do that without it failing too much. Because I think that player interaction isn't huge. I think that a lot of the time, not all of the time, but a decent amount of the time, when you're making decisions on actions that you're taking or strategies that you're trying to pursue, what your opponents are doing are not necessarily too ingrained in that decision. So that's cool because you can kind of just plan out and kind of just strategize on your own. But on the other hand, and this is kind of the bad part of it, sometimes it feels like everyone's just doing their own thing. Sure. And yeah. it's just kind of whoever's doing it better wins. Right. And I do think, I do want to kind of do benefit of the doubt sort of thing. I do think that the games that we've played Scythe, we just don't interact enough. I think that we would probably it'd probably be very beneficial for us to kind of go in and attack others or totally or, or whatnot but that's what i think is kind of interesting but i think that you know that bad aspect to it is really counteracted just by all the different strategies that you can do i really do think that there's so many different choices and options that you can make and they all have different you know effects on how well you're doing how much money you're making that even if you didn't have a ton of player interaction or play interaction that you wanted to have just choosing what to do is as like not damaging, but can have enough bad effects in itself that it's, it's fun. Right. And that you're not just 
oh, I know exactly what to do. So you do that and that's it. No, you think, okay, I know I want to do this. And so maybe I do this, this, and this, and maybe you're not always right, but you're getting kind of close. Absolutely. Sweet. But, but yeah, that's, that's why I enjoy Scythe. I think the aesthetic is awesome. I do think was some, something is kind of interesting and this is just my personal opinion, but with terraforming Mars, I think the aesthetic is kind of, eh. Mm-hmm. Like I think that the cards that you draw, they're all like some of them are like with like real people, and then other ones are like animated or not animated, oh, yeah, but yeah, like yeah. drawn or painted, and it just doesn't seem very cohesive. Which I do think is like, oh, that's not that great. But with Scythe, every it's single a time usability problem. Yeah, but every single time you pick up a card in Scythe, it's just like it's wow. Like I just totally. I think the art's really cool. I think the aesthetic, the whole 1920s steampunk, these mechs walking around everywhere, super cool. Absolutely. Yeah, me, me too. I, I love the aesthetic for, for Scythe. And I, I am always so amazed when I see board games really put in the extra effort to have like really clean UI or really beautiful, beautiful framing. But there we go. I mean, Connor, we do we did it. The three week, four week, five, what a five Whatever week planning of Scythe. of Scythe is now done. So the next episode will be a surprise. Yeah. Unfortunately, we're not going to be posting an episode next week because I'm going to be out of town visiting my sister. Um, so we're going to take a week off, but then we'll be right back onto it, um, releasing episodes. So, yeah, look forward to it. Also, if you haven't played Scythe, if you saw, thought any of this is interesting, I really do recommend you get the game. Absolutely. It's really, really fun. Go to your local game store and just just pick yep. it up. Uh, there is a small tiny chance there'll be an episode next week there may be another bonus episode coming but no yeah connor will not be here next week and this is a really long hour 45 minute episode anyways so you guys got your fill but we will see you in two weeks